And good morning, Lighthouse, once again. It's Good Friday. The theme of Good Friday is always the crucifixion of Christ, his death. And uh, we call it Good Friday because of the fact that Christ died for our sin. But uh, the whole idea of what the cross is all about is very significant. And uh, some would say, what, what's, the, what's the really the, the big news about Good Friday? Some would say, well, it's a day off from work and uh, it's a holiday. But different authors have written different things about Good Friday. People have had problems even with the cross. I came across an interesting article in the Boston Globe by James Carroll. He said, can a pious Christian make too much of the passion of the Christ? Can the suffering of Jesus be remembered as too bloody or too unique for that matter? Can the crucifixion be made too central to the Christian faith? Indeed, can the faith be distorted by an overemphasis on the blood and cruelty into a perversion of the message Jesus preached, or even the source of new cruelty? In being crucified, Jesus was uniquely, not really uniquely, singled out for the most extreme suffering ever inflicted. It was joined to thousands of his fellow Jews who said no to Rome, and who similarly suffered for it. Leaving aside questions of taste, or even the appearance and displays of graphic violence, any rendition of the death of Jesus that attributes sacred meaning to the suffering or cruelty to God's will, not to mention special guilt to Jews, is a betrayal of the real passion of Christ, which were for truth, for love, for life, as he put it, or life to the full. Well, apparently this reporter for the Boston Globe, James Carroll, never read Isaiah 53. He apparently misses out on the understanding of the suffering of what the cross was really all about. For those of us who profess to believe in Christ, we, uh, we need to be reminded of his suffering and his crucifixion. Now, there's a mixture of emotions when I really think about the cross. Death is not something I, or anybody for that matter, really likes to think about. When I think about the death of Christ, it's a vivid reminder that Christ was crucified by the will of God for my sin. It brings out two distinct emotions in my life. First, there's a deep sense of regret in my life that I failed God many, many different ways. And not only is there that sense of regret, but the cross also is a stern reminder to the atrocity of my sin and how much God hates sin. It always reminds that us that there's always a price for sin, even though the world would say, you can get away with it. Sin should never be taken too lightly. All too often we tend to sublimate it, so that we don't have to acknowledge it in any unique way. And that's something that we have to be on guard for, especially those of us who profess to know Christ. The cross brings me back to an awareness of the fact that my sin costs Jesus his life. The reason for God to become man is that it required an incarnate God to die for my salvation. To forget the cross leads to false sentimentality and the neglect of the horror and magnitude of human sin. Any teaching from Scripture which neglects the cross is really a false gospel. There is no gospel without the atonement. Uh, there is no Christian life without it. The incarnation took place, Christ coming in the flesh, so there would be a crucifixion. The cross stands as the focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, the gospel is empty of hope. And of course, without the resurrection, there is no gospel at all either. The cross is really the only solution to our sin problem. The cross confronts each individual 
as a crisis to which everyone must respond. The cross, as I said earlier, was man's atrocity. The cross is God's solution to man's deepest needs. When we come to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, as I said off earlier in the message, someone had said, we better tread lightly, kneel reverently, and speak softly because the Lord is present. And if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me from Isaiah 53 and hear what God has to say in the, through the prophet Isaiah regarding Christ. In Isaiah 53, we read this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for a generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When a soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that's just a part of the first ten verses of Isaiah 53. But before we go any further in God's word this morning, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, as we look at this passage, we just pray that Lord, we would recognize the magnitude of your sacrifice on the cross for us. Lord, uh, it's good for us to be made aware of what you went through, that we might rejoice in the position you've given us through faith in Jesus Christ. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in this passage, as we looked at it, we see that in verse 4, that's where I want to pick it up in your Bibles, that we read these words again, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we seem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Onlookers would consider God that he was actually striking, smiting, and afflicting God for his own sins as they observed standing by the cross that day. It's a typical response to suffering. People often conclude that a person suffers because he or she has done something bad and God is punishing him or her. Now, that was the viewpoint of Job's friends as well. Uh, they said, you know, the reason all these bad things are happening to you is because you've done something wrong. And even in the Gospels, when it came to the man that was lame from birth at the pool of Bethesda, the disciples asked Christ, who sinned, his mother or did he sin while he was in the mother's womb? And of course, Christ didn't say, that wasn't the reason at all. This was allowed for God's glory. Scripture does challenge that whole idea of thinking. And we see in verse 5, but he said that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's the heart of the passage, and it presents the heart of the message. 
innocent servant dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read these words. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The words grief and sorrows often refer to physical problems, to physical sickness. However, here they represent the sense of brokenness and spiritual lostness before a holy God. Jesus died on the cross because we were lost, because we were dying and need of saving from hell. I think we can take comfort that every sin that was addressed uh, was every sin was addressed by Christ on the cross. Christ was forsaken that we might not be forsaken. He experienced hell so we wouldn't have to. First Peter three eighteen adds to this commentary. It says there, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Did Christ die for our physical healing as well? Some people sometimes will ask that question. We believe from Scripture that, yes, he died to redeem all of us, body, soul, and spirit. However, don't make the assumption that you can be healed at any time. We don't see the completion of our redemption in this life. The Scripture says when we'll be resurrected, we will be like Christ. Fully perfect, fully uh, like Christ. We will receive the forgiveness of our sins and we receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment at salvation. And yet, we read in Scripture again, He was stricken and smitten by God for our sins. When Jesus was scourged, He was bent over, His arms were tied around a large post to be whipped. Perhaps you saw Mel Gibson's The Passion. It's a gruesome, graphic depiction. Uh, some people... I've met in our church and other churches, they said, I would never watch that film. And yet, I remember distinctly as I watched that film with many others in a theater in Owen Sound, Ontario, when it came out, I remember thinking as I walked out of it that I'd never heard a pin drop. There was a sense of silence. There was a sense of weeping. And there's this weird sense of quietness. And I remember as I walked out of that theater, along with some of my friends who had watched it with me, that I never wanted to ever sin again when I realized the cost that Christ paid on the cross for my sin. Unfortunately, I need to say that I've sinned since sin, but it, the depiction of the, the cruelty that he went through, the whip that the, uh, the Romans used was a, a, fla a flagrum. It was made of many leather thongs, had different lead balls for weight and sharp pieces of bone and metal to grab and tear and rip at the prisoner's flesh. And I remember watching that. Now, by the time Jesus' scourging was over, his back was laid bare, no skin left, only torn muscle exposing bones and internal organs. By allowing himself to be scourged, Jesus opened the door for us to be healed from the distinct disease of sin. And we need to remind ourselves he took our place. He was whipped so we wouldn't receive what we deserve to receive, which was we all should have been scourged for our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities, and he took upon himself the legal guilt before a holy God. He suffered for our sins, our wrongs. His death was a payment for others. Then we go on to verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sheep have some good qualities about them, but this isn't one of them. They tend to go astray. To understand when sheep do not have a shepherd, they tend to just wander and go any place they feel. Isaiah is saying that all of us are like that. 
Without the right shepherd, we will wander into the wrong places and places where we don't belong. Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel 34, 5 and 6 these words. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they found food for all the wild beasts. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek them. But God promised he would send a shepherd for his sheep. And Jesus is that shepherd. Listen to what he said in Matthew 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then in the NLT, John 10, verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yet, it says, every one of us has turned to his own way. We easily want to go our way. Sometimes it's a little hard to admit that when it comes to following Christ, we sometimes want to do our own thing. There's this natural tendency to want to say, I, I want to do it my way. And the Bible says that all of us are sinful, whether we want to admit it or not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, in the midst of all this, it says, God has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And this is often portrayed in the Old Testament where the people were to lay hands on an animal to be sacrificed, putting their sins on the animal. Leviticus 4.15 points this out. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. And Aaron shall lay both his hands, going on to Leviticus 16.21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send them away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. As Jesus hung on the cross, God put upon his son the punishment for our sins. This is what's happening when Jesus cried out. He said in Matthew 27:46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook Jesus when our sin was laid upon Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 adds to this by saying, For our sake he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The innocent was punished as if guilty, and the guilty, that the guilty might be rewarded as though innocent. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, a pivotal verse in Scripture, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is so important for us to understand that because the simple truth is that God's Son took the penalty upon himself, paid my debt, and was... And as a result, then I'm freely forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. That should amaze us and cause us to praise God for his great love for you and me. Remember, he paid for all of your sin, every single stinking sin. So what's my response to be to this? Well, Romans 12:1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is really your spiritual worship. So my response to what Christ did is that I ought to give my life 
in in a sense of understanding and appreciation for what Christ has done for me. It's so very vital and important to understand when I look at the cross and understand all that he did for me, that my natural response as a man who seeks to serve Christ is to say, Lord, take my life and use it. And that's my prayer today, that you will commit yourself freshly and fully to Christ and allow him to reign in your life, considering the great sacrifice he has given on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. We pray that you bless your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.